Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams, and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well, plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Achtung, Achtung. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Um, in the week of Warfest 3, as as the big week <laughs> big week approaches, uh, the big weekend. Um, All the preparations, the excitement, the staring at the weather charts. I can't wait. Mainly staring at the weather charts. And as um, anyone knows, uh, you embark on any kind of uh, major operational adventure in September at your peril. Because the the weather will do what it wants. Because the campaigning season is over, isn't it, Jim? Well, n- no, not anymore. Not anymore. I would say the campaigning season is probably over in July and August, and then recommences in September for most of October. <laughs> no, I'm I'm pretty quite smug about it. I've been I've been championing September as a as a good weather bet yeah, I know. for for a long time. I know. You know, obviously, know. if it was I'm in just... a war, it'd be different. But but um, yeah, of course, yeah, it'd be a bad a bad autumn. Yeah, oh, awful, um, the worst. Uh, I mean, well, there's so much. I mean, there's, every time I look at the program, I think, oh god, there's that as well. I know, um, I know, I know. Uh, we're going to struggle. I mean, just we're just not. We're, we're going to record everything this year, aren't we? Yeah, we are. That's the plan. So, if although actually, no, I shouldn't be saying that. <laughs> because, yeah, because uh, we want everyone to come. <laughs> You'll never yeah, have a chance yeah, yeah, to hear yeah, it yeah. if you miss it. That'll be it. <laughs> yes, but yes, but being there but no, is always better. Record. Live is always better than recorded. But um, yeah, uh, uh, definitely. Yeah, we are trying to record everything so that people who are coming can then hear stuff later. I mean, part of the pleasure of last year, I thought, was revisiting some of the things I'd attended. Yeah, and, and listening to them again and having another another think about them. In particular, the the thing that John uh, McManus did with Jonathan Fennell about yes. morale and i think that they're coming back to that subject this year which is very very exciting that the morale crisis of 43 it's yep. very cool that, that yep. we're getting to, to, to do that to touch on that again yep i mean i've just had a little mini mini conflab with saul david because we're talking about um the great airborne experiment on sunday yes. morning i think and um funnily enough we we're trying to figure out which which bit do you talk about what what which bit do you talk about the start the origins and the origins are sort of completely balmy or do you talk? And I, what I think we're going to talk about is Tunisia, because mm. the big marquee airborne operations, you know, Normandy and um, Market Garden and um, Varsity, get sort of raked over an awful lot and are well told, I think. But Tunisia, what first parachute brigade got up to in Tunisia and Sicily as well is sort of fairly well articulated, and, and I think people know what happened there and what went wrong, and you know, particularly to the first air landing brigade and all that. But, but it's Tunisia, it's 1st Parachute Brigade in Tunisia. That story is completely nuts. It's absolutely nuts. It's James Hill, John Frost, Alistair Pearson, Pine yes, Coffin. Yes, it is. It's all the stars. It's literally all the stars. It's all the marquee names of the airborne world. But but what's so fascinating, Frost regards, Frost regards all of it as a complete disaster. And he becomes very much... Um, he becomes very much fixated on the idea that what airborne soldiers should be used for is in company size operations to distract the enemy as commando raiders. And that anything bigger is a you're on a hiding to nothing. And a big part of it, a big part of his beef is that airborne the, the parachute battalions are, are triangular. So you've three companies with three platoons. 
So they're necessarily smaller. They'll muster 550 guys. Because the whole division is what? It's the brigade size, isn't it? Yeah, it's, seven, it's kind of, yes, it's 7,000 rather than 16,000. So a full infantry division would be 16,000 men. Yeah, it's, yes, exactly. So it's about 7,000 bayonets. So but they're put into the line in North Africa alongside four company, you know, companies that, uh, uh, battalions that run four companies rather than three companies mm. and with four platoons per company and are expected to carry the same load. And they're not, you know, the, these battalions are not designed to cope with the standard line attrition of an infantry battalion and yet are put in that position. And so it's very, very interesting that, that essentially the first two years, 1940-41, of recruitment and conceptualization of the airborne thing just goes gets completely put into the into the mincer in uh, Tunisia, yep. and to what end? Because they don't read, you know, they're doing that thing of looking out of the doors of the Dakotas for the drop zones because they haven't picked anything. And I think what's really interesting is we've talked about this in Tunisia before that um, for the rest of the army, for First Army, and for the Americans, it's great. But Tunisia is this enormous petri dish. That they're figuring out, they've got all these assets they've built up very, very quickly, particularly in the case of the Americans. And the Americans come to Tunisia very, you know, apart from Morocco, pretty green in dealing with the Germans. And it's this petri dish, and so they just try stuff out. And when you're trying stuff out and you really aren't quite sure of what you're trying to achieve, it can all go horribly wrong quite quickly. And that, you know, the, the sort of airborne boys are, the, are right at the pointy end of that experimental thing because they're an experiment in themselves. So they're an experiment on top of the general experiment, you know. Micro and macro experiment. Exactly. So now why do they have such a rough time? So I'm really looking forward to talking to Saul about that because he's writing about Tunisia right now. Well, I know he is. Yeah, absolutely he is. I mean, I remember when I was doing Tunisia, I, was, I, did, I specifically followed Johnny Frost on, on his particular mission. What I remember of that was that they basically jumped out. They were in the completely wrong place. They achieved absolutely nothing. Um, and they then tramped back to their own lines and <laughs> eventually got there after quite a lot of them had been fallen by the wayside. And, you know, and it literally did achieve absolutely nothing. I mean, it is it is interesting about, about how you use these airborne troops and, and, and the kind of the, the, the dazzlement of the German operations in 1940 and 1941 and how how people were so curious not to... Curiously, they they just looked at the kind of this, this shiny thing that was, you know, exciting and... Modern. A, a modern sort of falling out of the sky, but didn't actually sort of really think, actually, but what are the problems with it? You know, all those planes that got got shot down in May 1940, for example, transporting the, you know, and, and that it's so interesting, isn't it, that, that those lessons weren't taken? Because, you know, I've just been looking at various training memorandums, army, army training memorandums. Oh, yeah, yeah, It's yeah, not yeah. like they're not, you know, they absolutely are, you know, doing analysis on absolutely everything. So it's not like they're not applying their minds and yet there is this this void isn't there in the airborne experiment where yeah it doesn't matter whether whatever the problems are the, the dazzling brilliance tactical excitingness of it sort of seems to kind of overwhelm all other considerations yeah well i mean um, it's not analogous but it's but it's sort of um you think of it, ukraine the way people are talking about drones at the moment that, that drones because drones are new and they're clearly sort of disruptive in the traditional battle space and all that sort of stuff. Or traditional is the wrong word, but, you know, the more conventional uh, uh, battle space. And and so they're getting all the headlines, but, but we don't know what the... As yet, we don't know actually how effective they are, actually how useful they are. In a tank-on-tank -tank encounter, if, there are, if those are happening right now, 
are drones in that space or is it are we, is it just business as usual? But because it's new and it's seemingly futuristic, you know, those cardboard drones last week in Ukraine, which caught the headlines, that is incredibly beguiling, isn't it? And I think yep. there's, there's always there's always an element of this. And, and like you say, the, the thing that the British and the Americans do is roundly ignore the disasters that the Falshim Jaeger have had in 1940. Like absolute full on catastrophic attempts at sort of coup de main intervention and all that sort of stuff and a sort of shock and awe principle. It just doesn't work. And they just ignore it. And I, but so anyway, I can't wait. I cannot wait to talk to Saul about this. No, but that's just one of the things we're doing, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he's obviously immersed in Tunisia at the moment, which is, so he's, he's going to be, yeah, he'll come with with all the kind of fresh perspectives that someone who's immersed in the subject for the first time w- would bring. But yeah, there's 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 a lot of really really meaty stuff there, isn't there? But I think I think what I'm pleased about is the balance of it because I think we've got you know we've got a good load of light-hearted stuff as well. I mean that that fun why people are still obsessed with the Second World War with James May and Dermot O'Leary is going to be that'll be a laugh. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, and why are people so obsessed about that? I mean, you know, I know you and I are, but but why are we? I, I don't really know. <laughs> I do know. I sort of think I know. I think it's all to do with human drama, really. But it's also kit, isn't it? You know, it's it's shiny shiny planes and tanks and stuff. And also, an awful lot of it is sort of rerunning the decision making and thinking thinking about the decision making. You know, because it's one of the bits of history and it's probably why it's sort of not regarded as particularly respectable by, by, you know, legit historians for want of a better way of putting it is that it's full of contingency. And, you know, if you're a, if you're a serious historian, you're not really a fan of contingency, are you? You're, 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 not, you're, you're more into the long durée and all that sort of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's all the stuff we've been, we've been looking at, isn't it? It's all the kind of the stuff we've been looking at about, or re-examining people like Kesselring, you know, who I remember when I was doing Italy Sorrow, you know, I thought he was a bit of an arsehole, but I did think he was a pretty good commander. And now I'm thinking differently. And, and, <laughs> and what what an amazing subject that you can go back to stuff and kind of, you know, you, there's so much to learn. There's so much to understand. And the more that, that, that little onion layer that you understand, when you sort of Im- impose that on your earlier understanding... Obviously, it adds adds a kind of a level that you hadn't appreciated before, and so my point is, is that one is constantly kind of reevaluating, looking at stuff afresh, thinking about it and in new ways, and and that is really exciting. I mean, it's 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 always very thrilling when you come up with a when you suddenly have, there's a sort of a moment of clarity when you're looking at something. I think which is quite complicated. Yeah. Well, you know what, and this is another post reading Savage Storm thought about operational art, right? Mm. And and because the other day we talked, when we talked with, with, with Kevin Heimel, with John at McManus about pattern and operational art and Montgomery and operational art and all this sort of thing, you've got to come back to this every single time. Everything the Allies are doing is expeditionary. Everything the Allies are do- is doing, which is why in the end, going into Europe from the UK into, into Northwest Europe is actually the best way of going about defeating Germany in the end. Because... Everything you're doing is expeditionary. So anything you can do to make that easier, to simplify that, to shorten that line, is good for you. The Germans never, ever have to attempt anything along those lines. So when people talk about excellent German operational art, well, yeah, they either go east, they either go west, or they go go south. south. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's German operational art, your, your continental military power. So of course you're good at going east, west or south, 
<laughs> right? Yeah. And, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, north yeah. a bit. Of course you are, but it's all on land. So you can run a thing on horses and you can run a thing on trains and you can run a thing on Autobahn. You can do that at, at the Reichsbahn. So it, German operational art is easier. It's simpler. Yeah. Necessarily simpler by simply the geographical chance or fate you know what the germans are so bloody lucky weren't they i mean really <laughs> well, in that, well, in that so respect. easy it's on a plate <laughs> <laughs> i tell you what you're absolutely right and of course that's why the americans very sensibly go okay no we're going to make the cross-channel invasion the priority because we've got this massive base camp called great britain which is just you know and, and it's over the proverbial river crossing that's where we're going. We're going to draw that straight line to Berlin. That's what we're going to do. And, you know, there is, a, there is an absolute logic to this. I mean, you know, Michael Howard, the great late Professor Sir Michael Howard, always argued that, that Britain had an opportunistic approach to, strate- to strategy. Um, so, you know, the idea was that you'd sort of probe around and then um, you'd exploit the weak points. Whereas the Americans are much more prescriptive in their strategy, i.e. work out what you want, what you want to do first and then work backwards. But actually, it's not quite like that. You know, he's not quite right. He's he's right about maybe the Mediterranean in that the British are opportunistic. And, and that's obviously because, you know, the army's been defeated at Dunkirk, had to retreat. Then there's this window of opportunity to test tactics, operational art, strategy, everything emerges when the, when the Italians invade Egypt. So you think, well, I might as well, we've got to respond to it. So we might as well do that and then sort of see what happens. So you can see how the whole Mediterranean strategy, kind of from a British point of view, from a Duke point of view, kind of escalates. But also similarly with the Americans, the Americans are going into the Pacific and they they, they start off having, you know, okay, yeah, we're going to do Germany first and it's going to be, you know, the, the straight line, you know, it's going to be Sledgehammer, which is the original overlord that's going to be launched in 1942. And then they realise they can't. And originally... Japan is dealing with Japan is going to very much be second fiddle, but it becomes less so. So they've also got a um, a strategy which is opportunistic. It is okay. Well, you know, we've won in Guadalcanal, so let's see what happens next. And you know, we can go here and we could go there. And you know, so so the idea that the Americans are rigid in their strategy, I just don't think is I don't think is true. And anyone who is gets stuck. Exactly. But their one bit of rigidity by nineteen forty three is with with approach to overlord yeah uh, and this is my point that i think it's it's fine to have there might be a straight line to berlin but but there aren't straight lines in strategy and there aren't straight lines in you know it's not it's not that the british are opportunistic and the and the the americans are prescriptive the americans are prescriptive where they want to be prescriptive where they think it makes the best sense and they're opportunistic when it makes more sense to be opportunistic you know there's and and that's absolutely fine and that that's been quite a revelation actually because i've always viewed it with the very much with my kind of michael howard cap on but I think it is more nuanced than that. I tell you what, I really enjoyed that chat with Kevin Heimel, but bloody hell, I was so embarrassed. I've so embarrassed myself in the middle of that conversation because <laughs> I had complete. I absolutely have read that book, but I read the first one when it came out. I don't know whatever it was, two years ago, three years ago, or something. But but what I had forgotten was that whole expose he did on the sacking of or the removal of Terry Allen. I just completely forgotten it, and so I was wanging on about. Bradley, <laughs> oh my God! I've, I just uh, and then and then halfway through, I suddenly suddenly thought, oh no, I've just really made a faux pas because it's going to look like I've been talking the talk about reading his book, but I haven't read his book. But actually, I have read his book, but I've just forgotten that bit. I've read it, but but the thing that hadn't impacted me quite so um, 
hard was the thing about Patton's wife rewriting his diaries. Uh, by the way, this is a, an episode of We Have Ways USA that you will be you will be hearing soon at some point. Kevin Heimel is an extraordinary biographer of of George S. Patton, and it certainly makes you think. Oh, I wrote some stuff quite closely based on what he wrote in his diaries quite recently, and maybe it's all crap. <laughs> Well, it isn't all crap. I mean, I've, 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 it really isn't. The, the, the basic point is about this is is that Patton's original diaries are in the Library of Congress in Washington. You can go and see them, and I have seen them, and I've photographed them, and I've got them, and, and, and all the rest of it. And it's in this... And they're illegible. It's pretty illegible. You have to really concentrate, start off with, and then you sort of get into the swing of it. Um, and like all scratchy writing. and um, but it's But it's sort of exactly as you imagine it would be. It's kind of sort of written in a hurry... It's really quick. It's it's very sort of elongated and sort of flourishy yeah. Fs and and Ds and things. Yeah. But anyway, the but the whole diaries have also been transcribed. And what we hadn't appreciated was you know the the expurgated, the edited diaries are very much edited. So I went to the originals precisely to make sure that I was looking at the original stuff, not the kind of you know the edited Martin Blumenstein yeah. stuff. And there are differences. There are subtle differences in all the Sicily bits. What I hadn't appreciated, though, was his wife had just made her stuff up completely, <laughs> you know, which was, was the revelation, changed dates and all sorts of stuff. But, you know, you, it needs a kind of forensic look that, that Kevin had done, but but fascinating. And, you know, but I remember you, you and I talking about the diary entries where you can see all the doubts he has and, and anxieties yeah. and stuff. I mean, And the stuff of him saying, I have to summon myself up to be this soldier, this warrior. Yeah, 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 which yeah. Is, yeah. Just very, very interesting and fascinating, you know, especially if you're regarding him in the sort of tradition of the John Keegan Master Command way of looking at things. And, you know, the, the carapace a general must build to, you know, because every decision he makes involves people being killed and all that sort of stuff. To actually read Patton saying, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. I am doing that, you know. Um, yeah, I'm yeah, yeah. Putting, I'm putting it on, putting the putting the, the character on. It's really fascinating. Tell you what, we'll take a quick break, then we'll come back and uh, carry on in this vein of freewheeling war waffle. We'll see you in a tick. I'm Anthony Scaramucci, former White House Director of Communications and Wall Street financier. And I'm Katty Kay, U.S. Special Correspondent for BBC Studios. I've been covering American politics for almost three decades. Welcome to The Rest is Politics U.S., brought to you by Goalhanger. Go on, tell us, were those donations you made, like Obama in 2008, was that idealism? Were you hoping to get something out of these campaigns that would serve your own business interests, for example? So I think this will either make this podcast incredibly successful, Caddy, or people <laughs> will be horrified and they'll shut it off right now because I'm going to be very real with you. The Obama donation, I had gone to law school with President Obama. We were not classmates. I was a few years ahead of him. It was 2007. He was then Senator Obama. I had a check in my breast pocket. I went over to the senator. I said, Senator, I said, you and I didn't really know each other in law school, but I'm about to hand you a big check. Can I lie to my friends and tell them that you and I knew each other in law school? <laughs> well, Obama looks at me, had the best smile in American politics since Jack Kennedy. Forever. Yeah. He lights up. He looks at me and says, I'll tell you what, if you double the amount of the check, we'll take it back to Hawaii. Okay. And I looked at him. I said, you're done. I had another check in my pocket. I ripped it up. I doubled the amount of the check. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've been to more 
White House Christmas parties during the Obama administration than the Trump administration. In this pivotal year for the United States, democracy and world affairs, Britain's biggest podcast, The Rest is Politics, is launching stateside. Uncovering secrets from inside the Biden and Trump inner circles and how they shape the world's most important economy, but also the global economy too. New episodes are released every Friday morning. Just search The Rest is Politics US wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to We Have Ways to Make You Talk. James and I are being basically spinning the war waffle wheel at the moment. We'll get to that in a second. This weekend, We Have Ways Fest, Black Pit Brewery. It's our one last um, unsubtle plug for it. Um, go to wehavewaysfest.com. There are day tickets for Saturday if you can't make the whole weekend. It's, it's Friday, starting at 11 o'clock on Friday. We have Le Parachutiste dug into the wood behind the campsite. We have tanks, we have the garrison, artillery volunteers. I've made a, I've made a little quad um, 25 pounder in limber for um, Keith and Tracy, by the way. Yeah, I've, 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 I've picked them. up a model for them. I've picked up a little model for them. Oh, lovely. Well, I've made, yeah, them, yeah. I've made them that in one in 135th in okay. the desert. Well, well me, yeah. we, we, can, we can both do it so, so they'll feel very appreciated. And actually, I saw Keith yesterday because he's now a regular at Short Valley Cricket Club. And, oh, um, brilliant. And, um, and he was going, yeah, I'm just wondering, James, what, what we can do to. Uh, just trying to think how we can have a big finale on on Sunday. Just lots That's of really loud bangs. Just, just we'll fire be... a lot of guns. You know, would be the would be the best way forward. The other thing I quite like is that I do like a mooch around a stall as well. I'm I, I looking for kind of World War Two bric-a-brac and and all the rest of it. And there's some great stuff. There's clothing coming and all sorts of bits and pieces. And the other thing is also we've been having fun putting together Meistergeist, which is our um, is obviously mastermind in 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 German. <laughs> <laughs> and uh lots of fun doing that so i think that i think that's going to be pretty pretty yeah. jolly on friday night and there's the, the the shit off which is very exciting so um there will be in 135th scale uh, uh, at least a whole regiment of sherwood rangers sherman tanks yeah no that's um, i've even done i've done the crusader akak tank as well because they had one of those with them i believe yeah. someone's yeah someone's done a jeep um, yeah. You know, and I think there's a carrier. They're like they're basically absolutely everything that was in their regimental contingent, according to your book, right? <laughs> so if it's wrong, Jim, I'm telling you where the buck stops. Yeah, but right well, that's now. according to another book. <laughs> <laughs> So it might be completely wrong. It's not going to be completely wrong. Um, uh, the no. other stuff that's coming is there's lots and lots of fringe things. So we've got my 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 great pal Adam Shushdeforge, who is just hilarious, and he's doing Banger, who is this fictional character in the second east yorkshire battalion and he's in he's all dressed up and telling yarns from from the the campaign in northwest europe and it'll be brilliant funny anarchic all the rest of it we've got steve abs wisdom doing various 1943 themed stuff so he's doing a whole stint with the explaining the damn busters and he's got models on wires and all yeah, sorts of stuff. Yeah, great, it's gonna be yeah. great we've got an soe training camp so on and so forth so it's it's gonna be great it's going to be really, really, really good. And I've made a whirlwind. I finished the whirlwind, Whoa. which is being auctioned for Finley's Touch, which is a charity um, in memory of my nephew Finn, who uh, died of, of a blood cancer a couple of years ago. And so, the, the, all the fundraising efforts and the Hawaiian shirt fundraising. Um, I mean, already they've made their targets, which is really, really fantastic. So people have been in incredibly generous, and yeah, that's brilliant. I'll do what I can to thank everyone over the weekend. But here's here's the advance. Thank you to everyone because it's been absolutely amazing. And Guy Walters is going to have to wear PVC trousers apparently because they've met their target. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it should be a lot of fun. 
should be a lot of fun loads going on what's that document you got there well i'm gonna we should do a separate separate whole podcast on this because it's just so interesting but i've been looking through the army training memorandum number 45 i've got a whole load of them actually i've got one some from 1941 others from 42 this one's the 29th of may 1943 so obviously you know you think it takes about sort of six seven months for kind of stuff to really kind of get through into training manuals which actually in the big scheme of things is quite quick but but the fascinating thing about this training manual and it's about you know 70 pages long something like this on very thin paper and these were it says says on the front this document must not fall into enemy hands <laughs> so, so that gives, sort of gives it something so who's this issued by and who's it issued to it's issued by the war office it's signed off by brooke he's obviously the chief of the imperial general staff so he's the most senior man but what's fascinating about it is they have it has all sorts of stuff it has little stories from the, from the front of you know lessons that could be learned you know, so the first thing on this one is is what is good discipline. It's all quite interesting. It's got book recommendations, stuff that's come out. It's quite interesting. Um, and I made me think, oh, yeah, okay, well, there's a couple there I'd be quite interested in, to be honest. You yeah. know, wartime contemporary stuff. But what is really interesting about it is it is completely reflective of the makeup of the British Army. So how much right. do you think there is on infantry? I don't know, a third of the book? Not even that. Loads on artillery loads on driving <laughs> you know how to drive at night how to drive there's loads about wow. mines because it's north africa so wow. tons and tons yeah. and tons on mines lots on engineers how to get a how to get a six pound a gun over a ramp organization of remi services in the field it's just then there's how the japanese see us translation of a captured japanese document and you know as they say you know some of it's a bit quite complimentary a lot of it isn't yeah you know, so they're not yeah. they're not beating about the bush here. You know, they're they're being quite yeah, upfront yeah, yeah. They're about not gilding it. the lily or whatever. No, or, or, no, no, yeah. no. Lots of stuff on sort of how to drive at night safely, and and things about night a night vision, and that actually we do have very good night vision. Um, it's just it's just training yourself to to use it and the sort of do's and don'ts and things like this. Six pounders in the Battle of Egypt. So basically, this is the this is an account of the um, snipe action. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, the first tank attack, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, Alamein, it really does merit a proper pickover. Where'd you get that? Oh, I just bought them off. I can't remember. I bought them years ago. I just haven't. I, I bought them when I was doing all my North Africa stuff. So you know, fifteen, twenty years ago, I'd just forgotten about them. And then I just, I was looking for something else the other day, and I, I came across a whole load of them. And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be interesting to? Do? So I'll photograph this whole one for you. I've just got to get. I've just got to get it to you. Oh, brilliant. Be really interesting to see how um, th- they change from 1943 to 43. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and well, on. I'll try and get some more. You know. I mean, they're, they're just absolutely fascinating. Because, again, it's, a, it's another of those sort of in-the-moment documents. And it's just, in every single one, of course there is stuff on infantry, but it's absolutely not at the forefront. It really isn't. It's all that, it's that long-tail stuff that we talk about. Lots and lots of stuff about supplies and ammunition, how you get it up and, you know driving and how to avoid accidents and all this sort of stuff so it's not do you know what I mean? it's just it's a reflective of the reality rather than the kind of the myth we put the british army or any army in the second world war on from from movies and tv series and what have you but when you look at the war in the desert which is obviously this is referring to mm. how much actual hanging around is there and how much actual combat and it's always you know it's not it's 95 percent hanging around or getting ready or preparing or or you know reconfiguring and regrouping and five percent of actual 
if that of actual crash bang wallop isn't it that's the yeah, yeah. that's the point isn't it so yeah. so that's why the manual might be like that you know yeah yeah well i absolutely and it just it's so brilliant when you look at these things and you suddenly go oh, okay yeah that that all makes sense it's good to have a little jolt sometimes and kind of just sort of yeah. look at things with, with with fresh eyes oh i'll tell you what this is the other thing that was quite interesting i was in cornwall last week i was in a pub and I was catching up with an old school friend of mine who hadn't seen for years and years and years and suddenly accosted me. It was really nice to catch up with him. Suddenly got interrupted. This bloke tapped me on the shoulder and said, oh, you know, I listened to the podcast and everything. It was all very nice. He was the great nephew of General Adrian Cotton Dwight. No. Yeah, he was. And he said, said, I love your podcast, but could you do something on him? So I thought, oh, yeah, actually, we, we should do something on Cotton Dwight at some point. So I've, I've bought his autobiography, which is hilarious. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm writing this autobiography. I know. It's, I know it's massively awful to sort of shoot a line, um, and one shouldn't sort of boast about one's stuff. And I can't imagine why anyone under any circumstances ever want to read it. But so many friends of mine have been pushing me to do it that I felt well, okay. I'll, I'll jot down a few thoughts of my humble little, ever, you know, time soldiering. It's that kind of that kind of thing. Um, sort of who me, like a posh who me style. Yeah, 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 yeah. Desperately trying to sort of maintain his kind of desperately trying not to sort of seem boastful in Sell any it. way whatsoever yeah, but yeah, at the same yeah, time yeah, telling yeah. these you know just one amazing story after another i mean the guy fought in the boer war i know <laughs> he was shot in the boer war he sort of shot in the face or something i mean it's just absolutely amazing and yeah and did amputate two, two of his fingers so you know he's he was he's a pretty amazing guy and was captured by the italians you know captured and when he went into yugoslavia i think Anyway, so I'm reading this book and it's 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 very very entertaining. So we should do one on him at number. And then and then he said, "Oh, and let me introduce you to my friend who is I think he said he was the grandson of Bob Laycock." <laughs> really? As in, you know, commandos and all the rest of yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, wow. yeah. Wow. Well, I was at a wedding at the weekend and um we got chatting. Someone said, "Oh, I've been listening to this history podcast." It wasn't ours, which I, was, you know. Uh, it wasn't the rest of history, uh, was it? No, it wasn't. I don't know what it was, it, but it was a Scottish one because she's a, from a Scottish family. And I, uh, she said, there's this some p- bagpiper on D-Day. I said, yeah, yeah, Bill Millin, right? And she, she says, that's his name, <laughs> yes, yes. And she, but her grandmother had been Lord Lovett's nurse when he was uh, smashed up, you know, whenever it was, D plus five. Yeah. Um, on, the, on the Breville Ridge battles. And mm. um, so she, they, their family knew Lovett. What do you know? Yeah. So, you know, this, this peculiar connective tissues everywhere, really. Oh, and I'll tell you what, actually, another thread. So we had the independent company play Chalk Valley on Saturday. Oh, yeah, and? Yeah, well, there were a couple of shorts, so we gave them two of our guys, and so because I can't scan anything, they won. <laughs> not, that, not that I'm trying to take away anything from the independent company level, which is a, it was a brave performance. But I will just mention that we didn't get a huge amount of runs, and the person who got most of their runs was... Actually, it's not. That, that's not. Matt got 50 for the independence company, but, but well, the guy we lent them got 45 not out and hit quite a lot of sixes. <laughs> but anyway, be that way. But one of their guys, um, he dislocated his finger. It was, it was, yeah. it looked horrible. It was completely out of joint, you know, just fielding a ball. So he went off and, um, uh, Simon Edwards, he really does look like Francis Tuca. It's absolutely extraordinary. He has, he has Tuca as his handle on Twitter. But right. but he really really does look quite a lot like Francis Tuca. Anyway, he was umpire and he said, "Yeah, it's funny that guy, that, that bloke who, who, who dislocated his finger, because his um his grandfather was fifty second Highland Division, Lowland Division's driver." What? 
Yeah. Well, I said, well, have you told, have you told Andy Aitchison about this? He said, yeah, 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 but he, he doesn't know anything about him. <laughs> hate Will Smith's driver. He was hate Will Smith's driver, but that's all he knows. Jeepers. Yeah. God, that's fantastic stuff, isn't it? Uh, and, and my pal Alex Yearsley turned up as well. He was playing for the independent company, and he turned up with, with Douglas MacArthur's cap and side cap, <laughs> which he's going to bring to We Have Ways Fest as well. Oh, amazing. Well, I'll tell you what, um, we're just doing a short one today because we are in the throes of preparation and it's a big week. It's, it's our very own big week. Exactly. We'll be back on Thursday with another USA episode. Then we'll see 2,000 of you, roughly, thereabout, give or take, on stage um, at 11am on Friday. Over the next few weeks, we'll have a ton of different podcasts, including talks of the weekend, recordings from Jim's trip to Ohio, and of course, yes. our chats with John McManus. Um, so there's tons to come, as well as the festival at the weekend. Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, I hope you understand why this one's a little a little shorter than usual. I think we've gone around the houses, though, in pretty quick order. Yeah, yeah that's good chat. Said. Good chat. Yeah, excellent. Okay, I'll, I'll see you at the weekend, Jim. Yeah, can't wait. Can't wait, yeah. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Auf Wiedersehen und Tschüssi Tschüss. <laughs> <laughs> Cheerio. Cheerio.